0: Welcome to worship this evening. Our call to worship is a call to the Lord this evening, and it comes from Psalm 130. Psalm 130. Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If thou, Lord, shouldst mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee. That thou mayest be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waiteth for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say, more than they that watch for the morning. Let Israel hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy, with him is plenteous redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Our scripture reading this evening comes from the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 1, and we'll be reading the the first chapter in, in its entirety. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, and Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judas and his brethren, And Judas begot Pharaz, and Zerah of Thamar, and Pharaz begot Eshram, and Eshram begot Aram, and Aram begot Aminadab, and Aminadab begot Nason, and Nason begot Salmon, and Salmon begot Boaz of Rachab, and Boaz begot Obed of Ruth, and Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David, the king. And David the king begot Solomon, of her that had been the wife of Urias. and Solomon begot Reboam, and Reboam begot Abiah, and Abiah begot Asa, and Asa begot Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat begot Joram, and Joram begot Ozias, and Ozias begot Jotham, and Jotham begot Achaz, and Achaz begot Ezekias, and Ezekias begot Manassas, and Manasseh begot Amon, and Amon begot Josias, and Josias begot uh, Jaconias and his brethren about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconius begot Shealtiel, and Shealtiel begot Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel begot Abiad, and Abiad begot Eliakim, and Eliakim begot Azar, and Azar begot Sadak, and Sadak begot Achim, and Achim begot Eliad, and Eliad begot Eleazar, and Eleazar begot Mathan, and Mathan begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are fourteen generations, and from David until the carrying away into Babylon are fourteen generations. And, the carrying, and from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are fourteen generations. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. Jesus. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. We just read uh, the first few verses of the Gospel of Matthew, and we saw the long the long list of names that was there, a list of names that begin with Abraham, and they end with the name of Jesus Christ. Forty-two generations are listed: 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David to the exile, and 14 generations from the exile uh, into Babylon until Jesus Christ. And all through this time for hundreds of years, the faithful are looking. They're looking for the head crusher. They're, they're looking for the one that will bring to an end the curse of sin. They're looking for the Messiah to, to finally arrive. Each time a baby was was born into this family. A faithful believer wondered, Is this him? Is this the blessed one, the one that will establish the kingdom, the one who has come to set us free? Abraham and Sarah wondered this when Isaac was born. Jesse wondered this when he saw David anointed as king. The people saw Solomon ascend his throne and perhaps they wondered if he was the one. When Joash, the boy king, was was revealed, the only remaining descendant of David, no doubt people wondered this as well. And when Zerubbabel led the first wave of people back into Israel, when he led 42,000 people back to Israel from the Babylonian exile, people probably wondered this as well. But each time they were disappointed, as each generation came and went, the long-awaited Messiah did not come. Each baby boy born in this family tree was, was a disappointment. Many were degenerate and wicked. Some were heroes of the faith. But when it came to the attributes necessary to be the Messiah, none came close. They were all sinners. None had the qualifications to be or do the work of the Messiah. They were types, they were distorted reflections of the coming Messiah, but they, they were not pure of heart. They, they couldn't come and initiate God's kingdom. And so now, hundreds of years has passed, and it doesn't seem like the promised one will ever come. Joseph has probably reflected on this fact, knowing he's in the line of Judah, and perhaps he's been hoping that he will see this fulfillment of the Messiah come to pass, but Joseph has other things on his mind at the moment. He isn't really thinking about the grand plans of the Most High. But he's become involved in an awkward and shameful situation. And this is probably occupying much of his time. But little does Joseph know that this uncomfortable situation he's in in now will be tied directly to the fulfillment of prophecy. That his predicament... And the salvation of God's people are intimately tied together. His sticky situation is an event in the timeline of the incarnate Messiah. And what he's experiencing right now at the beginning of our text here. It is a burden. But it will become a great joy. And our sermon this evening is titled, From Scandal to Faith. A scandal, or the scandal, unfolds. Secondly, the angel appears. And thirdly, there is a faithful response. If you read through the Gospel of Luke, and we'll see that tomorrow morning, Luke writes everything from Mary's perspective. We hear about her being visited by the angel Gabriel. We We see what happens in her visit with Elizabeth and how she ponders all the things that she experiences. She ponders all the things that she goes through in in her heart. But when we look at the Gospel of Matthew, he writes it from the perspective of Joseph. He gives us a look at the events through Joseph's eyes, including the the discovery of the pregnancy, the visit of the, the angel to Joseph, and his response the events that happen. We see in our text when Joseph first hears of Mary's pregnancy, he does not greet this news with joy. Mary is his betrothed wife and she has become pregnant with a child that is not his. Now when you're betrothed or betrothed, it's not it's not the same as, as our engagement. We tend to look at it like that. We think it's the same thing as engagement. But it's part of a whole pro, uh, process that, that took place back then. The, Joseph and Mary's marriage, their betrothal, would have began with an arrangement between their parents, an agreement between their parents when they were quite young that they should be married. This is actually what's kind of like our engagement. And up until their betrothal, up until the next step, they would have had the option of backing out if Mary didn't like Joseph or Joseph didn't like Mary, or or the parents didn't get along. They could have backed out of this uh, of this agreement. This doesn't happen in this case, and therefore Joseph and Mary are betrothed, and it's actually very similar to being married oaths and commitments are made, the only thing that's different from being married is they actually do not yet live together. So when Joseph hears about Mary's pregnancy, from his perspective, Mary has been unfaithful to him. She's been unfaithful to their marriage vows. And he being a righteous man, as our text says, he being a just man, he now needs to do what the law requires. He now needs to do what is right. Yeah, Matthew describes Joseph as being a righteous man. What it means here is that he was a man that obeyed the law of God. He took the law of God seriously and he was going he was a man who would follow God's law. So according to Deuteronomy it was his duty to divorce Mary. Now he must not have talked to Mary for if he had she would have told him the circumstances surrounding her pregnancy. He doesn't know these circumstances. She would have told him about Gabriel's visit and that she was going to um, that she was going, giving birth to the Messiah. No, Joseph must have found this out from an other source. And now, as a law-abiding Jew, he has two options. He can publicly bring a lawsuit against Mary and divorce her. This would bring great shame upon Mary and her family. And would actually call for her her stoning. Although stoning at this time they say wasn't happening as much. The second option that Joseph had was to privately initiate a divorce. Now we know from our text Joseph wasn't willing to carry through with the marriage. He would do what he was required to do by law. Yet being a kind man he not wanting to shame Mary thought he would go ahead and divorce her quietly. I no doubt what Joseph is going through here, it's it's crushing him. His plans to have a happy marriage to Mary have come crashing down around him. His wife who was sworn to him appears to have been unfaithful. His plans for leading a quiet life in in Nazareth with Mary, his wife, have come to an end. The question here is, why did the Lord ordain it to be done this way? Why did the Lord take Joseph down this path? Couldn't he have revealed to Joseph sooner what was going to happen? Just like he revealed it to Mary. Why go down this path of Joseph having to deal with this news that appears so awful? Well, Scripture doesn't tell us the exact reason. Was it a test? Perhaps. It certainly must have been used in some way by the Lord in Joseph's life. We know the Lord will use evil. In this case, this is something that appears to be evil for good in a believer's life. This shocking news, although it wasn't true, is devastating to Joseph. Yet the Lord ordained Joseph to walk down this path. He ordained it that Joseph would go this way until the angel would come and reveal to him something entirely different. He would come and reveal what was actually occurring. We see here the Lord chose to bring Joseph low before revealing to him the wonderful news of the Messiah. Now, this is often how the Lord works in our lives. This is even how He often works in His people's lives. He brings us low. He He breaks us. He breaks us of ourself. He brings our opinion of ourself down low so, so that we will hear Him. So that we will listen to what the Lord has to say. He brings us low so that we need Him. We are made miserable so that in our misery we reach out to the Lord for help and and for salvation. And then what does the Lord do? What does the Lord do? Exactly what he does here with Joseph. And then he opens our eyes to the wonder of who he is, he opens our eyes to the wonder of the gospel, the wonder of his amazing grace. And this is what happened here to Joseph. The bad news became the good news. It was still news that shattered his plans. It was still news that dramatically changed his life in in ways that he, he couldn't imagine. But now Mary has not committed adultery. And he's not legally bound to divorce her. Mary has not been unfaithful. The child is not a product of a sinful relationship. Yet, this pregnancy, from outside observance, still had a sinful connotation to it. From all those looking from the outside, this pregnancy was still associated with unfaithfulness. We know this isn't the case. Mary and, and Joseph know this, is, this wasn't the case. But they could hardly explain it to others around them. Anyone else who knew of Mary's pregnancy certainly would conclude that she had committed adultery. So again we ask, why did the Lord ordain it to be this way? Why make Mary and Joseph walk this road of shame? Well, it's for the same reason if we look at the genealogy that comes before this, that we see names like Judah and Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and David and Manasseh. What's being told us here is that Jesus is willing to associate himself with sinners. He's in a family line of Gentiles, of liars, of thieves, of adulterers, and murderers. Jesus is telling us that he came for sinners. He associates with sinners so that he can save them from their sin. What's happening here is quite amazing. Jesus, while he is in the womb of Mary... He's ministering. He's calling out to sinners. Even at that time. He's using this pregnancy to call sinners to them. He's especially calling to those who have committed adultery. He's calling to those who are conceived out of marriage. He's saying that you are welcome to come to Him. He calls you to Him. He knows that sin hurts He knows that sin brings shame. He too is experiencing the effect of it, even though he didn't commit it. So, dear sinner, he calls you to him. He's telling you he will forgive your sin, he will take away your shame, he will wipe away all your tears. What Christ is showing us here in this genealogy and in His scandalous birth is that He came for every type of person. He came for every type of sinner. All are called to come to Him. All are called to come, repent, and believe the gospel. The pregnancy of Mary and the connotations that surround her pregnancy, the conditions you will probably hear about uh, tomorrow, the... In, in his birth, this is a gospel call that leaves none of us without an invitation to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Every sinner is invited to come, to repent, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this pregnancy is also a call to Joseph himself. A call for him to take action. A call for him to follow the Lord. A call for him to adopt a son. To take up his cross and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And this call comes to him when the angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream and says, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. She shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now we may be tempted to think that Joseph is a minor character. He's a minor character in the whole birth Of Jesus Christ. After all he isn't the one. Who's pregnant. Nor is he the one who gives birth to Jesus. He isn't even the the biological father. Of Jesus. He just is a character that seems to be. Hovering in the background. But Joseph is important. No he's not the main character. That's, That's always Jesus. But he does have a vital role to play here. He does have a vital role to play in the history of salvation. And the angel here alludes to this. He alludes to his role when he says, Joseph, thou son of David. Again, as we look at the genealogy in the first part of the chapter, we see that Joseph is a descendant of Abraham and David, he is in the lineage of kings. And Old Test- the Old Testament makes it very clear that the coming Messiah must be from this line. The Lord promised David, I will raise up thy seed after thee, which shall be of thy sons. And I will establish his kingdom. He shall build me an house and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. Jeremiah prophesied, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. And though in his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely, and this is his name, whereby he shall be called the Lord our Righteousness. Joseph was from the line of David, and it's from his family that the Messiah must come. And the angel here is reminding Joseph of this, and Matthew is making sure to include this in his gospel to show his audience, to show us that Jesus meets the criteria to be the Messiah. But some of us may say, well, Joseph isn't Jesus' biological father. Doesn't this negate Christ's claim of lineage, of being from the line of, of David? Well, no, it does not. For what is explicitly clear here, it is not so much the blood, but it's the legal identification With the tribe that was important. This is why the angel tells Joseph. Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. Here the angel is telling Joseph to continue with his marriage. And and by doing this he's telling Joseph that he needs to adopt Jesus as his child. And make him legally part of the line of David. Now, it may be that through Mary, jesus was uh, was already in the tribe of Judah, but we don't know this for sure. But even if that is the case, there was no legal authority in this. It would be through Joseph that Jesus' descent from David would be validated. It was because of Joseph's adoption of Jesus. That Old Testament messianic prophecy was fulfilled. Scripture has a high view of adoption. And what's happening here tells us much about the heart of our Lord. The Lord takes adoption seriously. The Lord recognizes it as being full membership in a family. To be a member of a family is not necessarily determined by blood, but by the family name being given to a person. We see this in adoption all the time. When a child is adopt, adopted into a family, they are fully brought in. They get a new name. They, they get a, a new identity. Once they have been legally adopted, they are now the real son and daughter of their adoptive parents. In the law's eyes and in God's eyes, there is nothing to differentiate them from their biological children. And so it is when believers are adopted as the children of God, we are fully brought in as members of the body of Christ. We become joint heirs with Christ and together share all the blessings of salvation. And so we can be confident Dear believer, in the Lord's adoption of you, that it's not a partial work, but it's a complete adoption. You are not a partial child of God, one allowed to hang about the home, but not be a full member of the family. No, the paperwork is signed, your name has been added to the will. As Christ was adopted into the family of Judah, so you have been adopted as a son or daughter of the Lord Most High. The Lord is your Father, and you are joint heir with Christ. What's amazing to consider here too, is Jesus being adopted into Joseph's family. Is that in doing this, he's identifying with us. He's identifying with a particular people. Yes, he does this to fulfill prophecy, but he also does this to communicate to us his familiarity with humanity. Jesus does not remain aloof from us. He does not remain separate from humanity. But he immerses himself in our family structure. He even immerses himself in the messiness of our families and our relationships. Christ becomes us. To suffer for us. To live perfectly for us. To, to die for us. Christ becomes us to, to sympathize with us. He becomes us in every way so that none can say that the gospel does not apply to them. So that no one can say they are too great a sinner. That they are from the wrong family. Or they have too scandalous a background. No, Christ calls everyone. He calls All sinners, every type of sinner, to come to him to be saved and to live for him forever. The angel continues in his message to Joseph, he gives Joseph a little bit more information. He says here, for that which is conceived in her, being Mary, is of the Holy Spirit. Let's imagine that, being Joseph, being there right at that moment, hearing this, that which is conceived of Mary, that which is conceived in Mary is of the Holy Spirit. What an astonishing announcement. How does Joseph even begin to comprehend? How does he even begin to understand what's just been said? Well, I don't think he did. Much like when we hear, uh, we hear about the, uh, Jesus' conception, and we hear about the virgin birth, it's, it's very difficult. It's impossible for us to completely comprehend. What the Holy Spirit does here in the conception of Jesus is is a miraculous work and it even takes us back to creation what what the holy spirit's doing here is is an act of creation he's he's making something new something new and good one comment, commentator says although god was not working from nothing here as he did in the original creation but from existent matter in mary It was still a new creation in that it was good. He produced a second Adam that was good. Like the first Adam. The Holy Spirit worked a miracle of creation here. The miracle of creating a human being. One like us in every way. Yet not possessing the curse of original sin. What happened here is the Word became flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God took upon Himself human nature with all its essential properties, properties, with all its infirmities, yet without sin. The Word became flesh. God and man joined together in one person, being very God and very man, yet one Christ, the only mediator between God and man. The angel reveals this to Joseph. We don't know how much Joseph understood. But the angel is also calling Joseph to go forward by faith. He continues here. And he calls Joseph to action. He says, tells Joseph what will happen. And she shall bring forth a son. And now calls Joseph To do this, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The angel reveals that Mary will give birth to a son, and that Joseph is to name the boy Jesus. The child will be called Jesus, and this means Yahweh saves. This conclusively describes the reason, tells us the reason that Jesus came into the world. He came to save his people from their sins. And now when you think of Jesus, when, when you think of the reason that he came into the world, is, is this what you think of? That he came to save you? From your sins? I fear that sometimes we, we get confused as to the purpose of Christ's incarnation. Maybe we think that Jesus was born to, to save us from hell. Yes, this is, this is a benefit of salvation. But it, it's not the primary reason that Jesus came into the world And there are even many people who acknowledge Jesus. They may even pray to Him only because they're afraid of going to hell. They desire the benefit of, of knowing Jesus, but they don't necessarily want to be saved from their sin. They want to live their lives their way. And then on the last day, somehow enter heaven instead of going to hell. But Scripture Here does not say, for he shall save his people from eternal damnation. Others think that Jesus was born to give them an easier life. He will care for all their needs. Yes, this this is true. That they will become wealthy. Well, this is not true. That tough relationships, medical burdens, mental strain, and financial difficulties will be things of the past. This is also not true. Yes, gospel wisdom and and knowing Jesus can help us navigate through these trials, but we will not escape the effects of sin until the new heavens and the new earth are brought about. Jesus came to save us from our number one problem, the problem that is the root of all our problems. He came to liberate us from our bondage. He came to liberate us from our self-imposed love for sin. He came to save His people from a problem we don't want saving from. He came to save us from our addiction to sin. He came to save us from the sin that has corrupted all our being and has corrupted every single one of us. I said sin was our number one problem. But sin is so much more than a problem. It's a curse. A curse that we embrace. You've heard the saying, I'm, I'm my own worst enemy. This is true for all of us. We are our own worst enemy. We brought salvation and misery upon ourselves in the garden, and we continue to carry that out and do that today. We enslave ourselves to the principles of the flesh. We enslave ourselves to self-service and self-promotion. We delight in the pleasures of our wicked heart, not knowing or caring that our path of unbelief will lead us to eternal misery. And yes, we can't save ourselves from this. We have no natural desire to abandon sin. We have no natural desire to follow Christ. We see no reason to set aside our our false gods and follow the Lord of, of heaven and earth. But praise be to the Lord. Praise be to the Lord of heaven and earth that He sent His Son And that here he's calling Joseph to name him. To call him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. This is our hope. This is our our only hope. That Jesus will save us from our sins. He's the subject of the sentence. He's the one here performing the action. The verb in this sentence is, is done entirely by Him. He will save. He's the one doing the saving. It's all Him. It's Christ alone, sola Christus. He sends His Spirit to awaken His people, to awaken them to their peril, to open their eyes to our, our sinful and broken condition. To stir us up to see our need for a Savior. A Savior who will save us from our sins. There will be salvation for Christ's people. He came to accomplish this. He suffered and died. He lived a perfect life. He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven. And He has prepared a place. For his people. He will save his people. Jesus entered into time for his people. He lived righteously for his people. He died for his people. And he chose his people. He elected sinners to salvation. Providentially we read from... Uh, The larger catechism, uh, question 13, where it speaks of God by an eternal and immutable decree out of His mere love for the praise of His glorious grace to be manifested in due time in Christ hath chosen some men to enter eternal life. Some men to eternal life. Praise the Lord that He did this. Because if He didn't, then not one person would be saved. Election is our hope. That He determined to come into the world and to save His people from their sins. This is our hope. And it gives hope to everyone. Because God's election does not negate the free offer of salvation to all that come to Him. And never should the secret will of the Lord be used by us to negate Christ's offer of Himself to all. Never should we restrict one's access to Christ based on our faulty understanding of God's good and gracious election. None of us know God's secret will. None of us have election detectors. We know the Lord determined to come into this world to save some people to salvation. But we also know that the Lord calls all to come to Him and He promises that He will not turn anyone away. So I must warn I must warn those of us who are trying to work out God's secret will, to not stand in the way of the gospel. Do not let it be said of you on the last day that you quenched the Lord's spirit, that you used God's sovereignty as an excuse, that you stood as a barrier between Christ and a sinner. Don't take the life-saving, the life-giving doctrine of election and turn it into a millstone that you hang around your neck or around someone else's neck. As we look at Christ saving his people from their sin, it's both a one-time event that it's speaking about here, but it's also a lifelong event It's a one-time event because of Christ's work on the, on, on the cross. It's a one-time event and that a sinner is only born again once and then can never lose their salvation. But the salvation spoken about here is, is also a lifelong process. Christ has saved you, dear Christian, from the guilt, punishment, and legal attachment to sin. And he's now in the process of saving you from the indwelling of sin. He is continuing to save you through the work of sanctification, stripping away one sin after another, preparing you for glory when your salvation will finally be complete. He's opening your eyes now to the deceitfulness of sin. He's showing you the bondage, the oppression, That sin brings. He shows us. The seriousness. Of sin. How evil it is. And how outside of him. We are tainted by it in every way. He's beginning to show us. What true freedom is like. And this freedom is not. The indulgence of a debased and corrupt heart he shows us that true freedom and joy are found in him in serving him with a changed heart isn't this what happens in your life dear christian the more you come to know the lord jesus christ the more you experience the joy of salvation the more he changes your heart isn't it what happens the more Christ becomes precious to you? Christ continues to become more and more precious to your soul. And the world begins to fade. The pleasures of the world, self-indulgence and self-promotion, they become less and less attractive. And Christ becomes more and more attractive. You cry out, give me Jesus, else I die. The more you experience Christ's nearness, the more you experience the reality of the gospel in your life, the more the things of the world falls away, the more precious Christ become. And the more you long for that day when you will no longer sin, when you will finally see your Savior, when you'll have the privilege and honor of bowing before Him and, and praising Him. What a great, great Savior we have. That He came into this world to save us from our sin. The angel called Joseph to action, and Joseph responded by faith. First, he took Mary as his wife, he knew that she had not broken her marriage vows. And he believed by faith the child in her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So he took Mary as his wife. He took her into home and had no relations with her until Jesus was born. Second, he called the child Jesus. By doing this, Joseph is saying that he believes what the angel said. He believes that Jesus is his Messiah. He believes that Jesus is his Savior, the one who would save him and all Christ's people from their sins. But yet there's something deeper in this text. Something deeper in the words the angel says. And by Joseph calling the child Jesus... He's believing more than Jesus, that Jesus was the Messiah. He's also must have known that Jesus was God. For the angel makes this abundantly clear to Joseph when he spoke to them. First, the angel loosely quotes from Psalm 130 verse 8. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. And he shall save his people from their sins. This is... He, redeeming Israel from all his iniquities here, is the Lord, is Yahweh. The angel is drawing a connection here between the Lord, God, and Jesus, the Messiah. He shows the connection between the Lord forgiving sin and Jesus doing the same. It is only the Lord who can forgive sin. And therefore, this coming child must be God. Second, the angel quotes from Isaiah 7, 14, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And we know what Emmanuel means. Emmanuel means God with us. Here again, the angel is making abundantly clear to Joseph that the child in Mary's womb is both a child, is both man and God. What a wonder for Joseph. What was devastating news has now become the best imaginable news. He must have wondered, how can this be? He must have trembled, who am I to, to be blessed in this way? To witness the coming of his Messiah. Also, be given the honor and the tremendous responsibility of, of caring for this Messiah. Even being called to name the Messiah. What amazing news this must have been for Joseph. Immersed in his own troubles, the things that were this troubling news that he had received, and then now this news has been turned into Wonderful news. But this news of a soon-to-be-born Messiah, this isn't just news for Joseph. It's recorded by Matthew. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. This news of Jesus' coming birth, it's, it's coming to us too tonight. And maybe we're in a, the same, a similar situation as Joseph. Maybe we're dealing with troublesome news in our life. Some trial. Some disappointment. Something that's, that's heartbreaking, like Joseph was going through. The Lord brings... Wonderful news on Christmas Eve. And we need to ask ourselves are we filled with wonder at what the Lord has done? Are we filled with wonder that the Word became flesh? That Jesus dwelt with us? And that He's now in in His human body in heaven and here in spirit? is with us. Are we filled with wonder and thankfulness this night that the Jesus, dear child of God, is has saved you and is saving you from your sin. This Christ. His birth. The Messiah, Jesus Christ, he is Everything we need. He's not just the reason for the season, He's the reason for life, He's the reason for joy. He is everything. And I pray that all of us, through faith in Him, are able to rejoice this Christmas. Because of our amazing Savior. Because of Jesus Christ who saves His people from their sin. Amen. Our faithful Lord in heaven. Oh, so often we try and distort the gospel... We try and somehow make ourselves worthy, merit some part of our salvation, some part of favor with Thee, but we only find favor, we only find forgiveness, we only find peace and life in Thee, precious Lord Jesus. So Lord, we pray, I pray that every single one of us here would rejoice, would be able to rejoice this Christmas because of the incarnation. That all those who do not know, the all those who somehow want to remain standing on their own two feet, that even in this night, their false foundation would be taken out from under them. That they would bow the knee to Thee, trusting in Thee, O Lord, looking to Thee, to the free offer of salvation, and believing in Thy great name. So bless us this week, O Lord. Make us holy. Help us to live godly lives for Thy honor and for Thy glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.